you have your Bibles, you can open them to Psalm 91. We've been studying for a number of months this passage in Psalm 91. I, I call it my 911. When I'm in trouble, where do I run? Uh, Psalm 91, I run to the secret place of the Most High. We're on verse 11. For he shall give his angels charge over you to keep you in all your ways. I love, I think it's the NIV that says, for he will command his angels charge over you. I, I love that. He, he commands his angels, there's Rhea, and I want you to go do this. I just love that. He, he will command his angels charge over you to keep you in all your ways. In their hands they shall bear you up lest you dash your foot against the stone. I want to stop there for tonight, and I just want to talk to you a bit about the ministry of angels. Some of you are saying, that's a little far off for me. It's a little far-fetched. It's a little over the top for me, but can I just tell you that there is very much a ministry of angels? Do you believe that? I think so often we're just taught in religion to just really, you know, let's have this neat, tidy, you know, what we can understand kind of religion and be satisfied with that, but aren't you so glad that we have a God who performs outside our box? That he's bigger than we think he is. That, that, that he can do more than we ever dreamed he could do. That, that, that I believe that there are two realms in this world. Do you not believe that? I believe that there's a natural realm and there's a supernatural realm. I believe that there's a, a realm of the seen and the realm of the unseen. I, I believe right now if God peeled back the spiritual realm and opened the door to it, you and I would see angels and demons if if you, if you will, battling on our behalf, battling, fighting for us, angels fighting for us, demons battling against us. And, and that might make you uncomfortable, but that's the word of God. If you don't believe it, you need to take it up with God because it's his word. There are angels that are sent, the word of God says, uh, to, as ministering spirits to minister to the heirs of salvation. That's you and I. He gives his angels, the word says, charge, command over us to guard us in all our ways. There's a passage that talks about children and how their angels and their angels look onto the face of God. I believe that children have angels. I believe we all have angels assigned to us. That's just what I believe. I believe we see it all through the scripture, the ministry of angels. We see it as we just came off of Christmas. We see it in the birth of Christ, uh, the, the presence of angels even in the birth of Christ. Uh, I see it with Joseph where, where he, he had in mind, the word says, to divorce, divorce Mary. But an angel appeared to him and changed his direction. He guarded Joseph in his way, in the way he was going to go. So I believe very much in the ministry of angels. I don't believe for one second that angels should be worshipped. I don't believe that that's the case at all. But I do believe that God dispatches angels to, to, to act on our behalf. Our daughter Christy uh, on New Year's Eve called us uh, at 1 o'clock in the morning. She and her boyfriend Miguel were sitting at a stoplight in Minnesota. Uh, they, they were coming from a club that they had been at. They had not been drinking, but they were sitting at this stop sign, this stoplight, waiting for, for, for the light to turn green. 
Christy had just left our house the day before, and I said to her, like I do, almost my, my children are here tonight. You can ask them. I, I, every time I see them and they're leaving, I will almost always say to them, angels round about you. When Christy left our home the day before, I said, hey, Teak, angels round about you. Be careful. Call me when you get to Minnesota. So they're sitting at the stoplight at 1 in the morning, and all of a sudden, Christy's boyfriend, Miguel, reaches over and puts his hand in front of her, and she looks up to see this car coming down their lane of traffic 60 miles an hour headed directly at them. She said, Rhea, all I could think of was that I was going to open my, that my eyes were, I was closing my eyes, and when I opened them up, I was going to be unconscious. She said, I just knew it. And Miguel had just purchased the car that he had a month ago, a month prior to that. He purchased a used Mercedes Benz. And at the time, Christy said she thought to herself, that's a little much. It's a little extreme. Do you really need that car? But he really felt like that was the car he was supposed to buy. He bought this Mercedes. They were sitting in it that night, 1 a.m. in the morning. This car struck them. It was a drunk driver. When, when Miguel got out of the car because this guy didn't move, he went over to check on him. He opened the car door, and the guy said, close the door. It's cold in here. He was that drunk that he didn't even realize that he had hit Christy and Miguel. But I want you to know, I wish I had brought the picture with me of what their car looked like. Christy said to me, I'm telling you, there were angels round about us. She said, that was the last thing you said to me when we left. And she said, when the policeman was driving us home, he said, I just want you to know, if you had been in any other car, this would have been a different story. There's not a scratch on either one of them. I believe, I absolutely, positively believe in the ministry of angels. I just do. And so the word of God says that he will send his angels charge over us. He will give them command over us. If you have not ever done a study on angels, I would encourage you to get your concordance, look up all the scriptures on angels, and then I want you to debate me on whether or not they could be real. This is God's word. And so we're going to take him at his word that even though we can't see them, there are angels. Leslie and I were in Chicago, what, maybe a, a year ago maybe or so. Uh, we had spent the whole drive down to Chicago talking about Emmanuel. It must have been close at Christmas time because we were talking about Emmanuel, God with us. And, and I said, Leslie, he's with us all the time. And, and we were just talking about, you know, he is our Emmanuel. Whatever we need, he's with us. We can trust him for it. We can count on him for it. We went to Chicago, we parked in this uh, massive uh, car garage, parking garage, and, and what we failed to do was remember where we parked. We forgot to take note of where we parked, and we were in one of these garages that when you get on the elevator to go down, they have these little tags that you can pull where it says you've parked in Blue Walrus, or you've parked in, you know, Yellow Caterpillar, and, and you take it with you, put it in your purse, and then you don't have any trouble remembering where you parked. It's that big of a garage, and well, we just failed to get one of those on our way down the elevator. And, and so we got back to the, the parking garage after we had done what we were going to Chicago to do. And mind you, remember, we had talked about Emmanuel, God with us, the entire trip down. 
and, and we couldn't remember where we parked. And so we began just walking up and down this massive parking garage. And we could not, Leslie and I, if I'm lying, I'm dying. We spent all kinds of time. I can't even tell you how much time trying to find our car. And you would think it was not impossible to do, but, but we really could not find our car. And I was beginning to panic quite a bit. And, and we had looked everywhere. And I was starting to think, did somebody steal our car? Because we could not find it. Leslie had this little beeper that you could turn it on and, and you could make it beep, you know, and, and we tried that. It didn't work. And, and all of a sudden, this little, this little man comes out of nowhere. That's right. And he was a little security man. And, and, and I said, I, we can't find our car. And he said, not a problem at all. He said, can you give me your keys? I give him my keys, and he goes off doing what he's going to do. And I said to Leslie, I just gave that man my keys. I don't even know him. He could have been anybody. We're in Chicago. But it didn't even faze me that I gave him my keys. And a few minutes later, he comes back, and he has our car. And, and he jumps out of the car, and I said, oh, thank you so much. I said, you know, tell me your name. You just are so kind. Thank you for doing that. He said, oh, my name's Emmanuel. <laughs> am, I, am I lying? Yeah, and it did. It took him just seconds to find that car. And so I, I believe, I'm just telling you, I'm just silly enough to believe. But that's what I want to talk to you about tonight. Long introduction to get you to that point. I want to just talk about a story where we see angels at work. I, I love it. It's one of my favorite stories. If you want to turn to 2 Kings chapter 6. 2 Kings chapter 6. And if you have your Bibles tonight, I want you to open them up and follow with me. If you're here and you haven't brought your Bibles, bring them. We, we will be in the Word every week. I preach right out of the Word. Uh, if, you, if you're not bringing your Bibles, I'd encourage you to get them and, and write in them and follow me along as I preach through this Word. So 2 Kings chapter 6, and I'll begin reading in verse 8. Now the king of Syria was making war against Israel. And he consulted his servants, saying, My camp will be in such and such a place. And the man of God sent, sent to the king of Israel, saying, Beware, you do not pass this way, for the Syrians are coming down there. And the king of Israel sent someone to the place which the man of God had told him. Thus he warned him, and he was watchful there, not just once or twice." Therefore, the heart of the king of Syria was greatly troubled by this thing, and he called his servants and said to them, Will you not show me which of us is for the king of Israel? And one of his servants said, None, my lord, O king, but Elisha the prophet, who is in Israel, tells the king of Israel the words that you speak in your bedroom. So he said to him, Go and see where he is, that I may send and get him. And he was told, saying, Surely he is in Dothan. Therefore he sent horses and chariots and a great army there. They came by night and surrounded the city. And when the servant of the man of God arose and went out, there was an army surrounding the city with horses and chariots. And his servant said to him, Alas, my master, what shall we do? So he answered him, Do not fear, for those who are with us are more than those who are with them. Elijah prayed and said, Lord, I, I, pray, I, I pray, open his eyes that he may see. Then the Lord opened the eyes of the young man, and he saw. And behold, the mountain was full of horses and chariots of fire all around Elisha. So when the Syrians came down to him, Elijah prayed to the Lord and said, Strike these people, I pray, with blindness. And he struck them with blindness according to the word of Elisha. 
Now Elijah said to them, This is not the way, nor is this the city. Follow me, and I will bring you the man whom you seek. But they led him to Samaria. So it was, when they had come to Samaria, that Elisha said, Lord, open the eyes of these men that they may see. And the Lord opened their eyes, and they saw, and there they were inside Samaria. Now when the king of Israel saw them, he said to Elisha, my father, shall I kill them? Shall I kill them? But he answered, you shall not kill them. Would you kill those whom you have taken captive with your sword and your bow? Set food and water before them that they may eat and drink and go to their master. Then he prepared a great feast for them, and after they ate and drank, he sent them away, and they went to their master. So the bands of the Syrian raiders came no more to the land of Israel. I want you to look at that first verse. It says, now the king of Syria was making war against Israel. You know that Israel had many enemies, and they were always making war against them. And this king said, let's go set up camp against them. In other words, let's, let's hide in a place where, where they are uh, uh, undefended, and let's ambush them is what he was doing. Can I just tell you that you and I have an enemy of our soul? who is constantly making war with us. And his plans and his scheming and his plotting is always to set up camp against us and ambush us. He wants to get us where we're vulnerable. He wants to get us when we're unaware. He wants to get us when we're just going through life and, and really unaware of his schemes. You and I have an enemy. And Israel had an enemy in the Syrians. And, and, and this was at the time, many of you will remember, Elijah, who was the, 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 the prophet who came before Elisha, he always had this battle with Ahab, the king of Israel. They, they were not tight. They were not good buddies. In fact, Jezebel, Ahab's wife, wanted to kill Elisha. Do you remember that story? And so this was a different time, and Elisha had a good relationship with the king of Israel. And we know it was good because the word says that he warned him. I believe it was a word of knowledge that, that Elisha had. I wish I could teach more on that tonight. I would love to teach you one of, these, one of these weeks. I'm going to talk to you about the spiritual gifts. There is a word of knowledge, which means I have supernatural knowledge of something that I really have no natural way of knowing about you. And that's what Elisha had. He had supernatural knowledge that, that the enemy was setting up this camp and where they were going to be. In fact, one of, one of the king of Syria's men said, he knows what you speak in your bedchamber. Can, can I just tell you that the Lord knows our intimate secrets? He knows what we think when nobody's there, when nobody's looking. He knows. And Elisha walked so closely with the Lord that the Lord gave him, gave him these words for the king of Israel and said, they're going to set up ambush for you here. Stay away from that place. And the word says that he didn't just do it once. He did it many times. He did it so many times that the king of Syria called his men together and said, who's the spy? Who's the traitor? I know one of you is the traitor. Who is it? And they said, oh, no, king, none of us are the traitor. Can I just tell you, it's that Elisha, the prophet. He's telling the king of Israel everything you do. He tells him what you speak in your bedroom chamber. I just love, I want you to just notice for a second that nowhere does he say, Elisha, so-and-so, and let me just explain to you who he is. He's this great prophet in Israel. You know what a prophet is. He's doing this. He's saying this. You know where he came from. These are who his parents are. He didn't do any of that. He just said, it's Elisha, the prophet. Do you know what that tells me? 
That tells me that, that the king of Syria knew who Elisha was. That his man knew who Elisha was. That his reputation had preceded him. When I was reading that passage this weekend, all I could think is, I want a life like that. Do you not want a life like that, that your reputation precedes you? That people say, oh, it's, it's that Rhea. I don't even need to tell you her last name. Do you, not want a, do you not want a life like that? I read a quote one time that said, I want to live your life in such a way that when you get up in the morning and your feet hit the ground that the enemy shudders and says, oh, no, she's awake. Do you not want a life like that? A life that's such a threat for the kingdom of hell that they are so, that they understand the threat that you are. Do you not want a life like that? That you are so sold out for the kingdom of heaven that all of hell shudders when your feet hit the floor in the morning. Oh, I want a life like that. And I love that Elisha, they didn't need, there was no formal introduction needed. There was nothing they needed to go into detail and tell them about Elijah. They had known that name. Do you not want a life like that? And he was such a threat to them that the king of Syria said, find out where he's at and send an army to go get him. One man and the king of Syria is sending a whole army to go get him. You see, the king of Syria was not afraid of the army of Israel. The king of Syria was afraid of Elisha the prophet. Do you not want to walk so closely with the Lord that your enemy sees you as a threat? I want that. I want that kind of life. I want to walk so closely with the Lord that I'm that kind of threat to the enemy of my soul. So he says, I, I want you to, to find out where he's at and, and, and go get him. And, and I want you to see the word here that he uses. He, he says, but the king of Israel, I don't want to miss this, was greatly troubled. It means he was enraged. He was furious. This made him angry that he had a traitor, that Elijah was telling uh, that he was, he was spoiling every plot, every scheme that he had. And so he was very, very angry, and he said, I want you to go get him. And they said, well, he's in Dothan, and I, I don't want you to miss this. The word Dothan means two wells. A well is a source, and, and it's just interesting to me. I've been asking the Lord about that connection, that, that what is it with the two wells, Lord? There's got to be something there. Can I just tell you that he's his, he is our source? And if we are looking to find what we need in anything other than Jesus, we are living a double life. We're living with one foot in this world and one foot in the other, and we were never meant to live that way. We were never meant to live where there's two wells. There is one source, and his name is Jesus. Uh, you'll be, it's interesting to know that this also was the place where Joseph was thrown into the pit. Are you following me? It was in Dothan. Because there were two wells there, commentators believe that this is one of the, this is the pit he was thrown into was one of those wells. And so as we go through this story, I want you to keep in mind, keep that in mind, that this is a place of the deep pits. Oh, the place of the deep pits. I wonder if there's anybody here tonight that's in a deep pit a place of despair, a place of hopelessness, a place of, uh, of feeling like, like nothing good is happening in your life, that, that just want, you're just waiting for the shoe to drop, the next thing to come. I wonder if there's any of you living in a pit. Pay close attention to this story. 
They say he's in Dothan, and therefore he sent horses and chariots and a great army there, and they came by night and surrounded the city. I don't want you to miss that they came by night. It was a sneak attack, and, and the enemy of our soul, he comes the same way. He comes and he sneaks in, and we pray all the time. Leslie and I pray constantly that we would not be unaware of the enemy's schemes. The Word of God tells us, don't be unaware. Be watching for him. He is a schemer. And we can't be unaware of his schemes. And they came by night so that they could get them when they were uh, undefended, when they weren't ready, when they were, they, they were vulnerable. Elisha and his servant were sleeping, and the word says that the servant got up that next morning early. Notice he got up early to find out that he was surrounded by the enemy. And he went out and he saw this enemy surrounding him. And it must have been massive. They had chariots and they were all around that city. And, and they were coming to take them by force. And the word says that he ran back in and he said, oh, Lord, what should we do? And isn't that what we do? Well, when the enemy comes and he surrounds us and we feel like we're going to be defeated, the first thing we do is say, oh, Lord, what should we do? We've got to do something. Isn't that what we want to do? We're doers. There's got to be a way I can fix this, Lord. There's got to be something I can do. Oh, aren't you so glad that we have a God who says, I want you to stand still and watch the deliverance of the Lord. I love that nowhere in this story do we see Elisha panicking. Do you just love that? Is that not how you want to face your battles? With peace and no panic? Where are you here? Are you the servant or are you Elisha? Are you the one who looks at what the enemy is doing, the enemy's attacks at your life? Do you panic? Do you think, oh, no, Lord, what should we do? Some of you are living in a marriage that's falling apart, and you're like, oh, no, Lord, what should I do? Stand still and watch the deliverance of the Lord. Some of you have prodigals, and you're like, oh, no, Lord, what should we do? And I've got to do something. Maybe I can look through his things. Maybe I can search his car. Maybe I can check his phone. And what can I do? You can stand still and watch the deliverance of the Lord. I love that nowhere do we see Elijah's peace being shaken here. Anybody see that? We see a servant being shaken. Look at the parallel they're drawing here. You can be one or the other. And he comes into Elijah, and he's filled with fear. Can, can I just tell you that fear is the opposite of faith? That fear always acts in opposition to faith. That, that's why the word says, I've not given you a spirit of fear. I believe fear is a spirit. I believe the enemy uses it to stand and to ambush our faith. When we start to look, you see, fear is false evidence appearing real. It's when we get our eyes focused on the seen, on the natural, instead of the unseen and the supernatural. You see, so many of us, myself included, live far too often looking at the natural and letting that motivate us. Letting that control our emotions, control our feelings, control our, I'm depressed because of this, or, or we're letting too much happen in the natural and control us. Our God is a supernatural God. There are two realms, the seen and the unseen. Because it's unseen doesn't mean it's unreal. He's fighting on your behalf. He's promised to never leave you, 
to never relax his hold on you, to never forsake you, to never leave you without help or support. He's promised that. I wonder why it's so much easier for us to believe the enemy than it is for us to believe God. For us to come into agreement with the enemy, because that's what fear is. Fear is coming into agreement with the enemy. Faith is coming into agreement with God. Fear says, I look at the natural and I'm defeated by it. Faith says, I look at the natural and I say there's a supernatural yet to come. I'm agreeing with God about this. Do you know that Psalm 91 is a promise to you? He'll send his angels charge over you. He'll command his angels concerning you to guard you in all your ways. Does that not offer some kind of peace to you? So the, the servant goes back into Eli, to Elijah, and he's panicking, and, and he's filled with fear. And, and he says, what should we do? And the, the word says that Elijah said, do not fear. For those who are with us are more than those who are, who are with them. I, I don't want you to miss the wording there. I would quote this often, and this is how I would quote it. Those that are with us are more than those that are against us. Anybody quote it that way? That's not what the word says. Look at it. Those that are with us are greater, are more than those that are with them. This is their enemy coming to ambush them, coming to take them captive, coming to destroy them, to annihilate them. And Elisha, one man with another, and this massive army surrounding them says to him, don't fear. That, that, would be, that would just be almost hilarious if what followed wasn't so profound. Those that are, are with us are greater than those that are with them. Oh, yeah. Oh, Lord. I pray that his eyes be open. You see that so much of our problem today, church, is that our eyes are not open or our eyes are open to materialism. Our eyes are open to the things of this world. Our eyes are open to lust and pornography and, and addictions and, and alcohol and parties and money, money, money and success, success. But our eyes are not open to the spiritual. We need to fix our eyes on the things unseen. Where are your eyes fixed? Are they fixed on your problems? You see, you can either focus on your problems or you can focus on the solution. God is your solution. I love the story where the disciples are in the boat and, and the, the wind is, is beating and, and it, the rain is pounding and the word says that Jesus comes to them and on the water and they were afraid. And Jesus says to them, fear not, it is I. Meaning, it's the great I am. Everything you need, I am. Why are you fearing everything you need? I am. Do you not know that we have a God who says, whatever it is that you need, if you need finances, if you need your marriage fixed, if you need your disease healed, whatever it is that you need, you need a new job. I am. Whatever you have need of, I am. Why are you fearing it is I. Notice that after Jesus says that to them, he calms the storm, and, and then he says, he rebukes them, and he says, oh, ye of little faith. And I was always like, Lord, why? They're fearful. That's not lack of faith, is it? And, but you see how he, he equates the two, that if you're fearful, you must not have faith. See, that slaps for some of you. Some of you, fear motivates your life. For some of you, fear controls your life. 
It keeps you from relationships. It keeps you from stepping out for the Lord. It keeps you from speaking out for the Lord. It keeps you hidden. Fear is really lack of faith. It's lack of trust. It's, it's, it's saying to God, I really don't believe you're my great I am. I really don't believe that, that you won't forsake me. I really actually don't believe that you're my protector, Lord, that you're my defender, that you're my very present help in times of trouble. You know, I would sooner be controlled by fear. Fear acts in opposition to faith all the time. It ambushes our faith just like the enemy was going to ambush Elijah. It comes to stand in opposition to that. Anytime you feel fear rising up within you, I would just challenge you to say, oh, what is the enemy out here? Because he's bringing a spirit of fear to keep me from something good, some revelation of God that I'm going to get here, some way God wants to prove himself here, and I'm going to miss it because I'm a choosing to agree with the enemy in fear than to agree with God in faith. Elijah says to his servant, fear not. I know that there's this massive army out there, and I know they're mean, and I know they got weapons, and I know they got chariots, and I know they're surrounding us, and it's just puny, the two of us here, but but fear not. I mean, do you understand the magnitude of this? It wasn't like the whole Israel army was there with them. This is Elisha and his servant. You know what? Fear not. I know they're surrounding us right now, but those that are with us are greater than those that are with them. And so he prays, Lord, open his eyes. Oh, church, we need our eyes opened. We need our spiritual eyes open. I pray almost daily, Lord, open my eyes. Let me see what you see. I've told you a number of times now that one of the things that the Lord has been challenging me with is when somebody acts ugly to me or somebody's nasty or, or somebody offends me, I, he's challenging me to not react. I, anybody here react besides me? I, maybe you don't. I, I know that you're spiritual and you don't do that, but sometimes I react and I'm ugly back. Anybody ever been ugly back? I, I, sometimes I do that, and you, you see that's my protection going up. And, and, and the Lord has been challenging me not to react, to stop and say, Lord, open my eyes. Let me see something I don't see. Let me see their broken heart. Let me see what's motivating them to be so nasty right now. Let me see what's driving their jealousy. Let me see where their insecurities are coming from. Lord, just open my eyes. Give me your eyes for them. Give me your eyes. Church, we need our eyes opened. We need our eyes open to, to what God can do. I, I believe, you know what, I'm just going to tell you, I'm just going to step out and just say it, but I believe, hmm. you know, we could build this study. We could work really hard, and we could have small groups, and we could, we could have parties, and, and we could, you know, send out all kinds of nice cards, and, and, and we, could, we could really, you know, have great refreshments, and, and we could really build this study by doing that. Do, do you know that? Not offend anybody. Don't step on anybody's toes. You know, if we had enough people and enough money, we could just do about anything. You can build. A church can become a mega church, not necessarily because they're, they're relying on the Spirit, but because they just have, the, they have enough people, they have enough money, they have enough determination to grow the church. Do you not know that? We could do that. But, but you see, there's a difference between just, just doing that and working in our own, our own being and having our spiritual eyes open to what the Spirit wants to do. 
I don't know about you, but I've played long enough. If this ain't real, I don't want it. If God is not who he is, then he's not worthy of my worship. If I can figure him out, he's not worthy of my worship. Oh, aren't you so glad that we have a God we can't figure out? The, the, the word uh, omnipotent means all-powerful. It means, I just I looked this up on my way here, and I just loved it. I said to Leslie, I've got to write this down because it's just too good. And now I'm going to forget where I wrote it down, but it is super good. Leslie, we should look that up. I think it's still on my phone. Because it's, it's better. Leslie said, well, it just means all-powerful. And I said, no, it means something even better. Here it is, able to do anything. Do you not know that our God is able to do anything? For me, it's just fun. Uh, Leslie and I were in Iowa a couple weeks ago, and there was this woman there, and, and, and she, you know, she was a little overwhelmed by me. She said, Rhea, I was raised in the Catholic Church, and, and, and the stuff that you talk about, I'm not really sure about, but she said, my marriage is in trouble, and I really want you to pray for it. And I said, well, sure, we'll pray for it. You know, come, let, let us pray for it. And, and, and Leslie and I were like, one of the things that I'm learning about the Lord, sometimes I get ahead of him. Sometimes I just, in my own power, go, go after people and pray for them. And, and I haven't stopped and said, Lord, what do you want me to pray? You see, that's the difference. Lord, open my eyes to what you want here. Don't let me plow ahead in my own strength and, and miss your spirit here. And so we prayed and we stopped and asked the Lord what he wanted us to pray. And, 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 and Leslie said something about, we were talking to her about her, her health. And she said, well, I have migraines every day and they're debil they're, they're, they, they just keep me in bed and I can't work. And, and I, I'm a single mom now because my husband left. And, and, and we're trying to restore our marriage, but we can't because I'm stuck in bed with these migraines. Oh, Leslie said, that's easy. Can we just pray for your migraines? We got an email from her, what? week or two ago, and, and she starts the email. Oh, it was a Facebook message, and it says, I'm your, I'm your migraine miracle or something like that. I'm your migraine miracle. Do you understand that if we had just plowed ahead and said, I'm not going to ask, I'm not going to stop and ask you to let me see in the spirit here, Lord. I'm just going to plow ahead with what I can do. We would have prayed for her marriage, and that would have been it. But God wanted to do something so much bigger. He wanted to heal those migraines. She is radical. She just texts us and said, do you have any Bible studies we can do? I want to start getting these group of women together to do Bible studies now, and I've got to tell them about this Jesus. Do you understand the power of God? You can talk about me. You can send gossip about me. You can say she's off her rocker, but I am telling you what, we are seeing the power of God at work. He is who he says he is. And he can do what he says he can do. And I am not about to keep him in a box and have him perform the way I want him to perform. He is so much bigger than that. Elisha was saying, your fear is, is controlling your life because you are looking at the natural and functioning in that. And God is so much bigger. Those that are with us are, are, are so much greater than those that are with them. We need to ask him to open our eyes to see how big he really is. Elijah prayed and the servant's eyes were opened and he could see these angel armies. What strikes me is the angels were in chariots too. Can I just tell you, there's nothing that the enemy can't bring at us that God does it, he outdoes it every time. He, he met him, he met his match. He, you want chariots? I'll give you chariots, but I'll outdo you. I don't care what the enemy is bringing at you. I don't care how hopeless it seems. 
I don't care if you feel like you are surrounded, that you are absolutely defeated, that there's no hope for you. I don't care how dead your marriage is. I don't care how poor your finances are. I don't care how much you hate your job. I don't care how sick you are. Those that are with you are greater. Greater is he that's in you than he that's in this world. He sends his angels charge over us to guard us in all our ways. Everything the enemy brings at you, God can outdo. God can outdo. He is the God of the angel armies. He is able. He's omnipotent. He's able to do anything. He says, I'm God. There's nothing impossible for me. You see, we have got to start exercising our faith. Somebody get the Hebrews faith chapter and read it for me. The, the first verse, somebody turn to it. Kristen, you get, you, Sean, quickly go to Hebrews and, and give me that faith is the substance of things hoped for. Now, faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things unseen. <laughs> that, that scripture always baffled me a little bit. Faith is the substance of things hoped for. Anybody go to Culver's here? <laughs> it's Rhea, and I'm talking about food, and we're fasting. But, but let me just talk to you about Butterburgers. <laughs> you know how you go to Culver's, and they give you those little numbers to put in your table? Everybody with me? If you haven't been to Culver's, you pay for your food. You order it, you pay for your food, and they give you this little number, you know, seven. Put it on your table. The waitress comes out, and she says, oh, where's number seven? There it is. These are your Butterburgers. This is your order, okay? Faith is a substance of things hoped for. I go to, to, to Culver's. I order my Butterburger. I'm hoping for a Butterburger to be delivered to my table. It's been paid for. It's mine. I go to my little table. I put my little number down. I say, that's the substance of what I'm hoping for to be delivered. And that waitress comes out and she says, huh, looking for number seven, number seven Butterburger. Where are you? There's the Butterburger. There's the substance. I'm going to take that and I'm going to give you what you were hoping for. Faith is a substance of things hoped for. Are you with me? That's our substance. God says, I paid for this. I paid for you to have this, whatever it is. What's his promise that he's promised you? That no weapon formed against you shall prosper. That your children shall be taught by the Lord and great will their peace be. What's the promise that he's given you? The promise of, of by his stripes you're healed? What's the promise that he's given you? If he hasn't given you a promise, get in his word and ask him to point one out to you. Because I promise you, he has one for you. What God has put together, let no man bring asunder. That I know the plans I have for you and their plans to prosper you and not to harm you. Well, it feels like you're harming me, Lord. Yeah, but you promised me. It's the, it's the substance. I thank you, Lord, that, that your plans are, for, are to prosper me and not to harm me. Oh, Lord, I'm standing on that promise. It feels like you're harming me, but I believe you've got a hope and a future for me. Here's my number. It's on the table. It's the substance. I'm exercising the substance. This has been paid for. It's mine. It's on the table waiting for delivery. 
Are you with me? And we have got to start exercising our faith. We've got to start agreeing with the, with, the, with the Lord instead of agreeing with the enemy. Fear agrees with the enemy. Faith says, uh-uh, Lord, you said this. I'm seeing this in the natural. That's really fighting against it. The temptation is to believe what I see, but I thank you that it is the evidence of what's unseen. And, Lord, I haven't seen it yet, but there are two realms here, the seen and the unseen, and I believe in the unseen. You're working it together for my good, and I'm about to to see the butter burger delivered. Yeah. Amen. Faith is the evidence of things unseen. So he says those that are with us are greater than those that are, are with them. Notice with them. That, that it's a picture of, uh, of the demonic being with them, of, uh, of, of them having angels that are not good ones with them coming at them. And so Elijah says, um, Lord, I want you to blind them. And that word blind doesn't mean he made them blind because obviously the chariots follow Elijah. They couldn't have been blind. The word actually in the original language means to bring confusion to them. And they say, you know, he says, it's not, the man you're looking for is not here, but I want you to look. I promise I'm finishing. Verse 19, and Elijah said to them, this is not the way. Nor is this the city. I just want you to see here, because I've entitled this message, that, that the right way to defeat an enemy. Are you with me? The right way to defeat an enemy. And so it was based on this verse where Elijah says, this is not the right way. This is not the right way. You're going the wrong way. Follow me. And what does he do? He takes that army and he takes them smack into to Samaria, to, to the center of, of where Israel is, to the king. He delivers them to the king. The king says, shall we, shall we kill him? Shall I kill him? He's excited to kill them. And Elisha says, no, put a feast out for him. Now, these are the people that were going to kill Elijah just a little bit before. And he says, put a feast out for him and let him feast and bless them and then send them on their way. Are you crazy, Elisha? These guys were going to kill you. You see, there's a right way to defeat an enemy, and there's a wrong one. See, some of you are trying to defeat your enemy by fighting back. But turn over to Romans 12. I think it's verse 18. I'm going to close with this. I want you to just see this. There's Acts, and then there's Romans, 1 and 2 Corinthians. You get there, you've gone too far. Romans 12 Verse 18, if it is possible, sometimes it's not possible. Can I just tell you? If it is possible, as much as it depends on you, live peacefully with all men. Beloved, do not avenge yourself, but rather give place for wrath. For it is written, vengeance is mine. I will repay, says the Lord. Therefore, if your enemy is hungry, do what? Feed him. If he is thirsty, give him something to drink. For in doing so, you will heap coals of fire on his head. Oh, beloved, do not become overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. You see, there is a right way to defeat an enemy, and there is a wrong way. And you see, so often in my immaturity, I fought the enemy the same way they were fighting me. I fought back twice as hard. Some of you are fighting back twice as hard. You're fighting the enemy the wrong way. The Bible says that you don't war against flesh and blood, 
Your enemy is not Susie uh, down the street. It's not Sam sitting next to you. It's not Larry laying with you in bed. That's not your enemy. You don't battle against flesh and blood. And when they come at you and it feels like you are surrounded on all fronts, can I tell you, take some advice from, from, from Elijah and know that those that are with you are greater than, than those that are with them. And that you have a force behind you that's so much greater and that there's a way to fight that's so much more victorious and take them to your king. Lead them to your king and say, Lord, you deal with them. I love the scripture that says when Jesus was beaten, when he was mocked, when he was ridiculed, when he was spat on, the word says he did not retaliate, but he entrusted himself to the one who judges all men justly. He turned them over to his king. And you and I need to start fighting our enemies the same way. When they come at us, we need to turn them over to our king. We need to, to entrust ourselves to the one who judges all men justly and give them a feast. A feast. If your enemy is hungry, feed them. Oh, Lord, thank you that you prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemy. That you let me feast. He lets them feast. And then he sends them away. Look at the last scripture in that verse. It says those raiders never came at him again. There's one way to defeat an enemy. It's not by fighting back. It's by knowing that the Lord has given his angels charge over you to guard you in all your ways. You don't have to fight back because your weapons are not carnal in nature. They're mighty in God. Mighty. I don't know what you're up against. I don't know how big your enemy seems to you, but in the natural, he might look big, but in the supernatural, your God is bigger. And we have got to come to a place in our faith where we start realizing the power of God in our life, that no weapon formed against us can prosper, that that's our inheritance from him, that those that are with us are greater. A greater is he that's in me. And when we really, you see, that's why Elijah couldn't be shaken. That's why we see him at such peace. That's why there was no fear in him, because he really, truly understood that what God promises, he delivers. I promise you. And he's a God you can trust. The Bible says he's not a man that he should lie, nor the son of man that he should repent, that he should change his mind. God does not change his mind. That word is forever settled in heaven. Oh, do you love that scripture? I love the scripture that says his word is forever settled in heaven. He's not wishy-washy. When he says, I'll do this for you, he will do this for you. But you know what? It's been paid for. It's been ordered. But you have got to put the number on the table and say, this is my substance, Lord. This is what I'm asking for. Bring my butter burger. Psalm 91 is, a, pro is a, a promise that's conditional. I talked to you in the very beginning about conditional and unconditional promises, and this is a conditional promise. It's conditioned on you getting to the secret place, you abiding in him, you dwelling with him. Does that not make you want to run to him? Knowing that all of this power is at his fingertips, that he's a God who's able to do anything, that he is all-powerful, He's all-knowing, and he is almighty. Do you know who you're serving? 
fear not, my friends, and realize that those who are with you right now, if we could, if we could see in this room, in the spiritual, we would know that those that are with us are greater than those that are with him. Father, we just thank you. We thank you, Lord, that you are powerful, that you are able to do anything, that you are God and nothing is impossible for you. And Father, I pray for each one of us. I pray for for every person in this room, for, for myself, Lord God. I pray that you'd open our eyes so that we could see. Give us a deeper sensitivity to the things of your spirit. Lord, open our eyes to the things of God that we're blind to, Lord God. Soften our heart to the things that we've hardened it towards, that religion has hardened it and said, you only behave this way, you only act this way, that you have to stay in the confines of what we can understand. Oh, Lord God, forgive us. Forgive us for putting you in a box. Forgive us for limiting you. You are limitless, God. You are an almighty God. And I pray this week, Lord God, that you would give each of us a glimpse of your power in a way, Lord, that we never dreamed possible. I thank you, Lord, that your word says that you can do immeasurably more than we could ever ask or imagine. We thank you, Lord, that greater is he that's in us, that you are in us, Lord that you are in us, Christ in me, the hope of glory. Be glorified in our lives this week, I pray, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen.